welcome to the Career Medis podcast. I'm your host Nisar Ahmed. I am the founder and editor of the blog careermedis.com and this is episode 27 of the Career Medis podcast and this episode is part of the expert series where during these interviews I interview career professionals, career experts will be sharing their wisdom in helping job seekers uh find the job of their dreams. And for today's career expert series episode I am interviewing career expert Mark Miller from Career Pivot. Uh hi Mark, welcome to the podcast. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited uh, for this interview because uh Mark, uh, I know you deal with a re- very uh, niche market and I don't want to steal your thunder, so what I would like to do is start off if you can introduce yourself, uh what do you do and who you are? Sure. The name is Mark. It's M A R C. My mama knew how to spell uh Miller. And um my business is Career Pivot, uh primarily focused on those uh as I now refer to in the second half of life. Um and you can determine what that means. Uh <clears throat> from a career perspective, I'm a bit uh I've had an eclectic career. Uh, I'm on my 7th career. Um and and I've gone through high tech I've been through IBM two successful startups uh in between the two startups I did non-profit work I taught high school math in a non in a inner city high school uh so when I when I go, when I interact with a lot of other career professionals I don't look like any of them I'm a recovering engineer and uh I got into this uh first uh after I left teaching high school um I I I was very fortunate. I wrote out both recessions in successful startups. But as I watched so many of my friends get wiped out in either the dot com bust or the great recession. Um and so I I've gotten involved and uh being quite blessed. I I as some people have says I made every career mistake you can make. So I'm very qualified to help people. that's that's great to hear because it's always uh i think people like to hear uh someone's experience and i I'm, i'm sure when your clients speak to you it resonates well when they hear your experience so um that that's that's great to hear so i i love the name career pivot it stands out and i think it's self explanatory but i would li- i love to know the origin of the name sure i mean one of the things i i like to do a lot of career reflection and one of the things i saw in every one of my career changes everything was i always refer to as a half step career change i e i had one foot in the old world i had one foot in the new world and there was always a relationship that took me across and i claim that every one of those career changes has prepared me to do what i'm doing today and when so when i talk to a lot of my clients and they want to do something different or more importantly they've been laid off and they're ready to do, do you know make a certain level of change it's a multiple step process that's why we came up with a pivot concept it's it's not going from one to the next uh particularly when you've been laid off later in life uh when you go back to work you take something that You, you you need to get a you need to get a paycheck again so what you're going to take is not always optimal but the idea is look at that as a 1 to 2 year gig 
and saying, okay, what am I going to get out of this to get me to the next step, which may take me to something where I'm, um, I'm again, I'm going to do a one to two year gig and I'm going to go to the next thing. And so it's it's pivoting along to get to me where I want to be. That's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, thanks for covering that because I always like to hear my guests' stories, how they came up came about from where they are to where they are today. Uh, that's always a good start. Uh, before we get into the actual dynamics of the process and uh, in and outs uh, of uh, the career process, a job search process. Uh, I would like to hear, uh, where are you calling from, Mark? Which, where are you I, based on? I am out of Austin, Texas, the number one growing city in America. And if we can keep half of California from moving here, it would be even better. <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned that because I did read recently that next to Silicon Valley, it's becoming a very big startup hub and there's a, there's a lot of growth. So um, a lot of people know that, and you mentioned that Austin is well known. Uh, everybody knows. Even I've considered moving to Austin at one point. So what I'm going to ask you is: Is there something un- different? Like, what is something di- uh, that most people do not know about Austin? Well, Austin is—I like to joke—it's it's the little blue dot in a bit, very big red state. Um, we're the gay capital of the Southwest. The one thing that in the 40 years I've lived here that has not changed is this is a very, very accepting town. Our, our, our motto here is keep Austin weird. Uh, so, you know, our, we, have a, we have a little memorial to uh, Leslie Cochran, who was a cross-dressing homeless guy who ran for mayor at least half a dozen times. <laughs> That's right, very interesting. Right, right. Yeah. Um, Leslie finally got got uh, he got beat up and ended up having some brain injuries and he eventually passed away. But he was beloved in town and he was typical Austin. He was weird. I've never heard that before, and that is refreshing. Thanks for sharing sure, that. Sure. <laughs> you can so, you can come here and be who you want to be, and that's fine. Uh, that's great to hear. That. Isn't isn't that what I know we're getting into now politics, yeah. which I want to avoid, but just a quick comment there. Isn't that what every people expect of any place they move to that it is already accepting, whether it's a neighborhood or a city or town. So that's perfect. That's awesome. Yes. All right. So now we'll, we will get into the, uh, the, I have some questions for you. Um, and like you mentioned before, you work within a very unique niche. So, the first question I want to start off uh, is how should people approach job search or careers differently in today's economy? Well, I, I, I do a presentation called Social Disruption, how, jo- how, how social media has disrupted the job search. And if I go back 20 years ago, uh, you probably, if you go to 1996 and some of you who are listeners probably may not have been alive in 1996 or certainly weren't even looking for a job. Back then, you would have found a job in a newspaper or a trade magazine, and you would have uh, made out your resume. You probably would have faxed it, ooh, that evil fax machine. Uh, you would have stood by the phone, probably one with a cord, for someone to call, and you would have an interview. Let's move forward 10 years. 2006, 
you probably would have searched online. Monster was created in 1999. Uh, Indeed, uh, incorporated in 2003. Most of the ATSs today were created 2004, 2005, 2006. So you probably would have found an online job ad. You probably would have applied online. You still would have waited for a phone call. Difference would be you probably had your cell phone. Back then, probably a flip phone. And the reality is not much had changed except everything was automated. What What changed was it was a whole lot easier to apply for jobs. And so in nine, let's see, in 2015, the, according to the Candy survey, the average job that was posted, and by the way, less than half of jobs get posted now, 80 applicants. And of that, there would be four employee referrals. Of that, half of that candidate population of 180 would be deemed as not qualified. So you'd end up with 90 candidates with two employee referrals. Oh, by the way, on average, they would interview five people, which would include the two employee referrals. So if you don't have an employee referral, by the way, your chances are pretty slim to none. Now we move to 2016. And if you talk to a typical hiring manager, and they and I in my presentation I talk about this is, you know, I, I want a project manager. The first thing the hiring manager is going to do is go to his team and says, okay, do you know any good project managers? Then they're going to go to their HR professionals, probably recruiters, and say, find me the best, you know, project manager. Will they post the job? Maybe, because what they're doing is they're now out. There's this new concept of sourcing. They're going out and finding the best candidate. And by the way, that best candidate may not be looking for a job. So you go back 20 years ago, the only people who would be looked at for a job are those who are looking for a job and applying. Today, it could be anybody. So we've put enough data i.e. social media, and that this is Twitter, primarily LinkedIn, um, Facebook. Uh, but people are now putting things out. You know, if you're a coder, you're putting stuff out on GitHub. Uh, if you're a marketeer, you're probably putting things out on uh, SlideShare. They're out looking for, for you, and now, rather than being an active candidate, you have to learn how to be a good passive candidate, i.e., so you can be found. So it's a huge shift in how companies are finding talent. They're not waiting for people to apply. They're just going out and finding it. And that's a, that's a big change. Mark, thanks for covering that extensively. And I was feverishly taking notes. You covered <laughs> everything from 96 and 2006 and 2016. Yeah. Some of the things I thought, I mean, I was thinking, okay, this sounds obvious, but no, it is not. You gave some very interesting insights about the number of candidates and how a hiring manager approaches. So that's a big disruption, right? Because uh, if you think for, let's say someone loses a job, they're thinking about how can I find a job? But what you're suggesting is it is completely flipped where it is, 
If you're a good passive candidate, if you have a good, if you're out there, people know who you are, you can increase the odds. Yeah, you, you have to understand how sourcers work. So number one, when they are out, particularly when they're search, searching on LinkedIn, uh, they are look, typically the typical um, search criteria will be on current job description and keywords. Now, when you're unemployed, the key piece here is you have to make sure that you have a current position on LinkedIn. If you don't, you are not going to be found. So I'll use an example myself. Uh, I've always had a, you know, for years I had a little side business called Global Basis Consulting. So if I went unemployed, that was my current job. The second thing is you have to understand you're going to want to put all the variations of the title on your LinkedIn current, uh, uh, in your current job. So uh, the example is I, I deal with a lot of product managers. If you're a product manager, but you also do product marketing, you what you want to put in the title is product mark, you know, product manager, vertical bar, product marketer or product marketing. Um, by the way, you got to be honest. You can't lie. Um, but you want to put all the variations so you can be found. So part of this is you got to flip your thinking on how people are found. Um, I have a we have a recruiter here in town who um, who recruits for about 200 startups here in town, and he he. The term he uses is QIA. Uh, they use, okay, first thing they're looking for Q, which is qualified. They're out doing their search. I is interested. And lastly, A is available. The problem is they're looking for their ideal candidates. So they're, they're, they're doing the search. They're probably going to do a search and then narrow it down to 200 people. They're then going to go say, okay, search down which of these folks are really qualified, and that's usually by calling them up, and lastly, are they available? That process is fraught with errors. Uh, it could be that you don't have the right keywords. You might be the ideal candidate, but you don't have the right keywords in your either your online resume or on your in your LinkedIn profile. Um, they may call you up on a day where you're having a bad day, <laughs> And the recruiter calls you up, are you interested? You know, can we talk? It's like, go away. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> or better yet, I'm, I don't know about you, but I get a lot of spam phone calls. I don't answer the phone um, uh, on my cell phone unless I know what the number is. I let it go to voicemail. Um, and and so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very error-prone process. And I, I claim the current hiring process is very broken. And so, therefore, your best way to get hired is to develop the relationships at companies that need you. So I call this a targeted job search. And that is, think of yourself as a consultant. As a consultant, you solve problems for your employer. Okay? What employers have those problems? 
and then target those companies and build the relationships at those companies. And by the way, you should do this for the rest of your career. You should always be doing this. That's an interesting approach because I think the last things you said is target companies. And especially, uh, I think traditionally, I should say, most people are applying for a job. They go to Indeed or they go to LinkedIn or Monster, as you mentioned, and they start looking for jobs. But here, um, what you are suggesting is, as a candidate, be more picky and choose the target companies and go after them. Yes. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, go go and because, because so many jobs get filled through employee referrals, Build your referral network at the companies where you want to go work. Now, the key piece here is, uh, is okay, that company over there looks real sexy. Can you really, do you really want to go work there? Um, I call this MSU syndrome. Uh, make stuff up. Um, I, have, I, I have a client who works for a major financial institution he writes for them and he says i want to go work for the economist i said and how do you know that that's my dream job and how do you know that he says oh well they produce great content they're great stuff and again how do you know what it's like to work there it might be a meat grinder you don't know go talk to people and i always say go talk to people who are working there and go find people who have left And by the way, that's pretty easy to do on LinkedIn. Um, And what you'll find is, by the way, the people who have left will give you probably a more authentic view of the culture. And by the way, most of us, particularly those of us who are a little bit older, it is more important who we work with and the environment than what we do. So go find out whether you actually want to go work there. You talked about, I think, if I can, if I can think of one word, what he just described, it's culture, right? Yeah. Like what is, it, what is the culture, the climate where you work? And it is so important. Uh, personal experience, being there, done that. You look at a company, you look at the industry, you think it is really sexy, it's awesome, but the culture is totally different. So... Uh, that's actually a fresh idea. Not only talk to the people who work there, obviously they're not, if they're still there and you're asking for feedback, most people may not give you a straightforward answer, but also ask people who have left. So that's a fresh idea there. So thanks uh, for uh, bringing that up. Well, yeah, I had a, I had a client who um, wanted, was being, he was interviewed for a, an H, top HR position at one of the sexy startups here in town. Uh, they just they just gone public, and we contacted three people who had left, and we got the same we got the same answer from all three who had left. And so why'd you leave? And they said toxic work environment. And then I oh wow. <laughs> and then then I did this same uh, I this, I do this social disruption talk, and and I mentioned this process, and I. I hinted at the name of the company, and and I had a guy in the back room says, "Yeah, it sucks." The reason I stay there is they keep on throwing options at me. Um, okay, do you want to go work there? 
The answer is probably not. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's a good exercise. I have never done that, and I sh- I'm I'm thinking if I were if I were to make a move next somewhere, that is something I'll definitely put on my list to do. Yeah. It's uh, well, you yeah. you should always have a target list of anywhere from ten to twenty companies, so that when bad stuff happens, and we all know it's going to happen. Um, you are ready to move. Um, I, ca- I call this not being a turkey. Um, by the way, the turkey analogy I got out of uh, Taylor Pearson's book, End of Jobs. And a turkey lives a wonderful life. They're built, born into sterile environments. Uh, the butcher takes care of them for three years. It's a wonderful life until the fourth Thursday of November. And then, <laughs> then suddenly, it's not so good being a turkey. And, and the fact is, you have to be prepared. Um, if you're not looking at what, where you're going to go next, you are a turkey. Because that can happen at any time. So I've got lots of examples of this, but, you know, bad stuff happens. Think if you were in the oil industry two years ago. You thought you were, you were fat, dumb, and happy. That was until oil went to what thirty dollars a barrel. Back barrel. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I live in Canada, so we are very big. Our economy is reliant on oil. So, oh yeah, definitely, there's been uh, and and a lot of people are affected by that. And no, and probably no one saw it. That is true. Right. That is true. Actually, that uh, that'll be a good transition because uh, I I like the flow where this is going. So let's take that as an example, and I think this would apply to a bigger, broader base of audience. So you talked about being relevant, being on social media, but let's say someone has for five years, 10 years, built one skill set or one industry, and this is very common with manufacturing, oil, uh, there's other industries as well, where it gets disrupted. You mentioned social disruption, now there is job disruption, right? So for someone like that, and uh, it's perfect, I think the term here is pivot. (laughs) Uh, For someone like that, what would you recommend? Let's say they come to a standstill where it doesn't make sense to go back to the industry, but they want to do something new. Where would they start? Yeah. One of the key problems in changing industries, and changing industries after 15 years in an industry, is gets very difficult because you are your brand is usually around that industry. So the the first step is to figure out what is what is where do you want to go. Um, one of the one of the first steps is to look at adjacent industries. So I'll use the example. I had a client. 59 years old. I've written him up in a, in a, in, in a couple of blog posts. He's, he was my um, uh, introverted sales guy. Uh, yes, that's not an oxymoron. Uh, and one of the things, and he had worked in the, in the uh, he had, for 20 years, he sold equipment that packaged food. So his big claim to fame was he sold equipment, you know, those curry coffee machines. His, mm-hmm. you know, his machine that he sold put coffee inside that cup and sealed it. 
And by the way, I learned that coffee dust is highly flammable. Um, in fact, it's explosive. And so one of the things we, he, where he eventually landed was actually in a, in a company that made sensors for that machine. So one of the things is start looking for adjacent industries. And you may have to do multiple steps. And I've got various processes to find those adjacent industries. That's easier. If you want to make a bigger leap, you, you're, what you're going to have to do is now brand yourself um, related to that industry. Um, and I have a blog post on my um, uh, on my website about uh, switching industries to smart grid. Uh, there was a gentleman here, Daniel, and I can't remember Daniel's last name, who who, who very much wanted to get into smart grid. Uh, intelligent power networks, and he had no experience in it. And so he he figured out that what he wanted to do was get into a software company that was related to Smart Grid. So he particularly got hired in a, in a, at a job as a product manager where he got to do SaaS, software as a service, because he knew that's where the, that particular industry was headed. And then he started a, a, a blog called the Technical Product Man Management Blog. Uh, I think it's technicalproductmanagement.com or something like that. And what he did was, for 18 months, he interviewed people in the smart grid industry. He started to get street cred. So he started building his online brand on where he wanted to go. And the idea here is you have to demonstrate that you, you know your stuff. It's not good enough to say, take a chance on me, which is how we've traditionally changed industries. Uh, no. You have to demonstrate it. Show It's no longer, don't tell me you know your stuff. Show it to me. Now, in his case, it was quite brilliant because what he was doing was just interviewing other people. <laughs> it was a brilliant strategy. Um, and, but it, 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 it took a very, very structured and very uh, strategic plan to make that switch. And so, and, 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 I, and I, by the way, I see this in product managers, project managers, um, you know, I've, I've had a, cu a couple of project managers who've been big at IT planning, and they say, I want to get out of that. And, in fact, I had one client who's top-flight project manager, taught he taught all, all the classes for the PMI. And um, sure enough, he, I, I, got him, I got him to speak to the COO of one of a major um, medical uh, clinic uh, company here in Austin, and the COO looked at him and said, you have a great resume. We won't hire you. You don't have any medical background. Oh, we shouldn't care. We will. And so the next step was, wow. right? <laughs> That's a challenge. Right? Yeah. Right? You know, if, you, if you're, this is a challenge I see with product managers, project managers, business analysts. Um, where you have there, there are two sides of you. You have your domain skills, your industry skills, and then you have your business, business acumen. You know, like a business analyst, you're, you're an analyst. 
uh, it's much easier to gain the the industry skills, but that's all anybody will look at. So you have to figure out how you brand yourself around those industry skills. It's hard. But but it sounds like it is definitely worth it based on the stories you've told. Oh yeah, you 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 have to know where you're going to go, do your research, and by the way, get ahead of the curve. Um, we're going to see more and more industries go away. Um, I, when I work for IBM, I I do, will never forget in the late '90s doing a briefing for Kodak. I will never forget this. They were, you know, we were on the cusp of digital photography. We're in the very infancy. They had all of this digital technology in the labs. They couldn't release it because they made all their money on film. They had billions and billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of employees in the film business. And they were doomed to failure. It's because it was a very difficult transition. We're going to see a lot more of Kodaks. We're going to see this in the car industry. Uh, We're going to, by the way, we're going to see this in the insurance industry. Uh, If you look at, um, if the technology going into cars today eliminate half the collisions, whether it's self-driving cars or collision avoidance systems, what does that do to the insurance industry? What it does to the auto parts industry? It can change stuff. And if you're in there, you better be prepared. That's a, that's a good transition to what I wanted to ask you next. Uh, I'm, uh, this is uh, sounds like you and I are very much in sync. I wanted to ask a question. You cover that. So, so what you're saying here is be more proactive. Don't wait. Be more proactive. Uh, think about what is like. No, so what I'm the, what I'm hearing is no job is permanent. Uh, yeah, do not be a turkey. <laughs> yes, yes. That I am going to remember that forever, and I will make sure when I write a summary, I will definitely highlight that because that is so key. That is so key. Um, so, so in terms of what you you throw the point of clarity. Be clear where you want to go. Um, so how, how, especially when someone loses a job or their industry is being shut down, there's a lot of emotions. So I'm, I'm asking you a two-part question. So how do you deal with those emotions so that you can quickly move forward? And how do you gain the clarity you need? I know it's a very loaded question, but I thought it is important because that is the first thing people will go through. Yeah. Well, number one, I tell people if they get laid off, kill. I'm sorry. Just go chill. I, I've got a blog post on Monday um, around being miserable in your job. By the way, if you're miserable in your job and you go look for a job, no one's going to hire you because you're miserable. And it comes, shoves. So when you get laid off, you're ticked off. Uh, you have to let that pass. And you got to give it time. So first thing to do is take several weeks and chill. Then start doing your research and don't talk to anybody. No, or I should say, don't don't plan on interviewing. Just do your research. Um, 
and 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 start let the anger to dif- diffuse. Then, uh, one of the things that I do, uh, I uh, I end up dealing with what I refer to as square pegs, people who don't fit. And one of the things a lot of us who've been in in uh, corporate America for a long time, and by the way, I'm 60 years old. I spent 22 years with IBM. Um, I made, I remade my, I, I changed my behaviors so that I look like an IBMer. And by the way, I did a disservice to myself. Um, so I am myself. I am a closet introvert. I appear very extroverted. I am a phenomenally good public speaker. In fact, for IBM, that's what I did for them for almost 10 years. Um, I am I am great in a networking event. I can work a room better than anybody. By the way, when I walk off stage or I walk out in a networking event, I'm exhausted. My knees buckle. I do not get I do not get energy from doing those kinds of things. And one of the things is I have to learn to take care of myself. So if I go do those things, I now block off time before and I block off time afterwards. Um, understanding um, where you have changed your behaviors and then you have choices. Once you understand what you've done to yourself, and by the way, we all do this if we stay in corporate America long enough. We remake ourselves and sometimes make ourselves miserable and is to get that kind of clarity. Um, I use the example, um, well, I, I in my book, I, I talk about moments of clarity. Uh, I claim we look at life through filters. And by the way, those filters protect us. But when good things and bad things happen to us, um, we those filters come down and we see what's really important. Uh, my classic example was a little over a dozen years ago, I had a near-fatal bicycle accident. I hit a car head-on where our combined speeds were 50 miles, over 50 miles an hour. And obviously I lived. And I spent five days in a trauma center. Um, they had me walking on crutches in three days. I was back in a bike in 10 weeks, flying back to China in four months. Oh, by the way, flying right smack in the middle of the SARS epidemic in 2004. And, you know, it's, kind of, it's like, why am I doing this? Would I have ever gotten that clarity without that happening? Uh, probably not. And I have, I've had other instances like that in my life. But this also happens when kids are born, when you get married. Oh, by the way, you get divorced, when parents die, um, when, you know, there are all kinds of events that happen to us that we can go back to those times and say, okay, what did I learn? What's really important to me? Because what happens is once those events end, very often the filters go back up and we forget. And start getting really clear what makes you happy. I've got a couple of clients right now who've been spit out of major corporations and I'm they're, they're basically been told, go create a job. And they're going, well, they, 
they got to create that. No, no, no. You go tell them what you want to do, and they will let you do what you want to do. <laughs> They've created the situation, and they're scared to go ask for it. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and, and very often, if you ask for what you want, by the way, usually they'll give it to you. It's 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 one of those things that that tends to be um, I often find uh, very surprising. Did I answer your question? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you gave us. Uh, I think the moment of clarity was yeah was very key, and uh, you talk. I think it helps you. Um, yeah, I I happen to use the Berkman assessment with my clients, and I have a whole system built on top of it. Um, what I love about the Berkman is it will tell you how you behave, which is what Myers Briggs and Disc and all the rest of them. But also in those same um, behave in those same areas, will say, okay, how do you want to be treated? And when you get big gaps, you suddenly go, oh, I am not who I say I am. Uh, the three most common ones I've got is I've got a client, well, the closet introvert, and you'd be surprised how many sales guys and sales sales, sales gals I've found who are closet introverts. Um, the second one is uh, stealth competitors, which are almost all women, um, and they are sweet, lovely, wonderful people who you never believe they want to get rewarded, but when they don't get rewarded the way they want, they get really pissed off. And by the way, that's society. If you remember the uh, the Microsoft CEO this last year was telling at a women's conference, oh, don't ask for a pay raise. That's bad karma. Um, that's something we program into in our society. Um, and the last one that, that I run into is my structured anarchists. Uh, these people appear very, very, very orderly. Their, or, their challenge is it has to be their order. They typically are incredibly good at creating order out of chaos. And when they fi finish fixing the problem, they need to move on to the next problem. But you never know that because they look so damn orderly. I've got two clients like that. And, and they have to be retrained to go say, no, I want to go over there where there's chaos. Let me go fix problems. And when I'm done, I don't want to stay here. Don't don't leave me here because I'm going to be miserable. I want to go find the next problem. Yeah, it's so true. I was writing down all those three uh, types of people, and yeah, I, I've known or I, I'm one of them as well. <laughs> I am a closet introvert salesperson. Yep. I, I have that's what I do for a living, and uh, I didn't know. I thought I was the only one. So oh. it's good to know that I'm not alone. <laughs> oh, I, I I worked with one woman. It measures 91 to 99, and her acceptance score, how she appeared, was 99. Ms. Social. Her need was a one. <laughs> and her husband was a true extrovert. And so and so when they would go, and, and t people like her, they walk out of an event, or, they, or you know, they've done a conference. At the end of the day, everyone wants to go out for dinner, and she's going, I just want to go back to my room. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> and and her husband would then go make make excuses for her. Because, well, she's an extrovert. Well, no, she's not. <laughs> she needs to go back to the room and go read a book. 
get away from people and recharge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Mark, we are heading into the uh, towards the end of the session sure. here, uh, and we have covered a lot of great points. Uh, and I, I, I wanted to ask you um, if people, after listening to this, wanted to find out more and wanted to reach you, what would be the best way or the best methods? Sure. The easiest way is just go to my website, <clears throat> careerpivot.com, and just hit the contact contact uh, button at the top, or I even have my phone number uh, at the very top. And yes, I do answer my own phone. And um, and that's the best way. Uh, subscribe to my blog. Um, I've won just about every career award there is um, for my blog. It's been my, uh, my 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 best my best social media vehicle. Uh, so that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Okay, great. I'll make sure when this is over and I'm publishing this, I always post a summary. I'll make sure to include all of them. So Yeah, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at CareerPivot. Uh, can, and, and feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just tell me that you you you, you heard me on, uh, on, on this podcast, and I'll be more than happy to accept the, accept the connection. That's great. Um, so before we sign off, Mark, do you have any last words, anything that you think we missed out? No, I, I, the, 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 the key piece in today's world is to be proactive. I did a blog post is, you know, have you been smacked? And SMAC stands for Social Mobile Analytics and Cloud. Um, you will be affected by one of those. I don't care what you do. Um, they, they are changing the world. And you have to stay ahead of things. Where is your industry going? Where is your profession going? Um, you, you cannot be a turkey. Um, you, it, I, I have a number of clients who I claim who've been institutionalized. Um, in fact, I've got one right now who um, uh, she just believed that she was just going to be able to work at the same company forever. Well, that didn't happen. Um, after 20 years, she just got laid off. And this is a major, major large company. No one would believe that ever that they would lay people off. So don't be a turkey. Don't be institutionalized. And by the way, institutionalized came from the um, from the movie Shawshank Redemption. And anybody remembers Brooks when he came out of prison after 40 years and he, he couldn't handle it on the outside. Mm -hmm. um, don't don't get institutionalized. <laughs> yeah, thanks for summarizing. I mean, that's that's great. Be proactive. Don't be a turkey. Uh, I, 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 will, I will never forget the turkey, uh, turkey <laughs> analogy. Thanks for that. I mean, that's awesome it, because it, 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 that stands out. By the way, it, it came from Taylor Pearson's book, End of Jobs, which I, I think is just a wonderful book. Um, and um, and it's, you know, it's it's what, and, and by the way, he, he, he stole it from somebody else. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful analogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark, as I mentioned a couple of times, I've learned a lot during this interview. You, you shared some unique ideas, 
Um, and I was feverishly taking notes. And <laughs> it, was, it was great talking to you. We've got a lot of great insights. Uh, I'm sure the audience will find very insightful as well, this whole interview. So thanks for being a guest. Thanks for spending some time with us. Sure, no problem. And go go to my blog and subscribe. Yeah, you you will get preview chapters of the second edition of Repurpose Your Career. It's now Repurpose Your Career, a practical guide for the second half of life. Due out early next year. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks thanks for uh, thanks for all the sharing all the wisdom here. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Career Metis podcast. I have written a brief summary of the interview along with some of the links that Mark has mentioned. If you liked what you heard, feel free to subscribe to the Career Metis podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode and you know if you learned something new, which I'm pretty much sure you have, feel free to post a comment or review. And if you really loved it, definitely, definitely go ahead and share this episode among your network. Until next time, this is Nisar Ahmad, your host for the Career Medis Podcast. Thank you.